they always score. Cleared, Keats with a shot, Jerry Gatt! Name on the trophy. It's not over till the final whistle and City here looking for an opening. It's Dick off again! Can you believe it? Becker. It's a Jerry Hello everyone and welcome to the inaugural episode of the Mancunian Way podcast. Uh, I'm your co-host Ollie and I'm here with Serge. Evening all, evening all. So um, yeah, welcome to the very first episode of the Mancunian Way pod. This is something that me and Serge have been talking about doing for a while. Uh, Serge was very early to the fan content game for United, I'm sure. Many of you, and here's a free plug for them, have heard of Stretty News TV, uh, which Serge was going on with in the early 2010s. So Serge was very, very early to the game. Um, I've managed to swindle him back out of retirement, a la Paul Scholes, and bring him back to do the Mancunian Way pod with me. Um, something a little bit different. It's something I've, I've been thinking about doing for a while, you know, bringing together uh, both City and United topics and people connected with the clubs and people that have got interest in the clubs. Um, and and getting them into one podcast to talk about these things and of course as is always the case to see how they stack up against each other as we have for 100 plus years so yeah um i mean a little bit about myself um i'm ollie i'm 28 i've been a man city fan really for for my whole life i'm from north manchester uh my dad was a blue his dad was a blue and his dad was a blue before him so we are very much a blue-blooded family. Uh, season ticket since 97 was there. I was there in 99 at Wembley. So yeah, I'm as bitter as they come. I hold a uh, perpetual everlasting hatred towards Manchester United and anything to do with the club, except my uh, my friends, who I will make an excuse for. Me, this pod is, is just so I can, I can delve into both City and United topics. Um, few sly pokes here and there at Serge and our United connected guests, as we've got one here with us today as well, who Serge will introduce in a minute, um, and really just have some fun and swim out with people and, and take questions and really just get, get some great reaction and conversation going off the back of these. So I will now relent and pass you over to Serge, my co-host, and let him introduce himself and our guest today. Evening all, evening all, great to be here. Um, so yeah, hopefully um, some of you might know me from Twitter, uh, Serge, uh, at Serge MUFC, nice uh, cheap plug there, um, give us a follow, give us a like, you know. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, followed United since I was a kid, um, also family, uh, big United fans and uh, yeah, home and away supporter with Johnny, done done many home and aways with, uh, with Johnny who's uh, come on the uh the pod today. It's great to be here with him, uh, and we're really looking forward to um, having some great conversation about both sets, uh, well, both clubs really, um, in you know, in Manchester. And uh, yeah, it's just it's, it's just great. It's just great to be here. And as as, as uh, Ollie said, it's me coming out of retirement, you know, taking the uh, the microphone back 
and uh, hopefully you'll get to listen to my dulcet tones uh, once a week. So, yeah, we're, we're really looking forward to bringing you some great content and bringing you some fantastic guests on here for you um, who are both close to Manchester United and also just generally close to the media um, and have involvement with both clubs kind of day to day. So, uh, with that in mind, in, in, in our inaugural episode, um, it's great to, uh, to have uh, Johnny Schrager, at Johnny Schrager, uh, you might know from Twitter. Uh, Johnny is um, someone who I've known for a long time now. He's a, he's a close pal of mine and um, also a big United fan. Uh, and he um, has fantastic uh, insight into the club and also uh, some fantastic sources as well. Um, so on the transfer front, he he does get quite involved on the transfer front and just generally uh, on the day-to-day runnings of Manchester United. Uh, he does get an itchy bum from City on the fence, but, um, you know, he, we, we, we're really looking forward to having him on tonight. And uh, yeah, just handy over to Johnny. Uh, Johnny, great, uh, great to have you here. Oh, great to be here. I'm on, aren't I? Yeah, you know I'm a bit, uh, what's the word, um, an amateur when it comes to technology. No, but absolutely delighted to be here. Um, I've got a feeling you boys could create some magic here. It seems like you've got a nice chemistry. Actually, I've got my interviewer hat on as well because I want to ask you both about, obviously, not, not just the how the, the pod came to be, but also your history as friends because, you know, people are going to, I imagine you two as big characters are going to become good personalities and I imagine people will want to know the history of your relationship as well. So I'll ask you that in a minute. Um, But yeah, no, it's uh, uh, exciting times for the city of Manchester. Um, Ollie has enjoyed himself more in recent years, as we all know. Uh, Serge and I, when you're talking there about home and away, he's just reminded me of, I don't know why, but sometimes the more painful ones come to mind. We were there for Mourinho's last dance at Anfield. Uh, I remember that. So I remember you doing Liverpool accents on the way to the ground and me me thinking you were going to get us battered. Um, uh, there was that. <laughs> and the start of that season, um, of course, we went to bloody, we did a pilgrimage to Brighton, didn't we? And we, I think we got beat on both occasions. We got beat. It was Lind- Lindelof's first game, I think it was. Yeah. 3-2 and 3-1 respectively and both were just nightmares and just one of the many, many examples of United woes in recent years. But yeah, we, we've shared those journeys and somehow managed to have some laughs along the way during those torrid times. But yeah, no, I'm, I'm delighted to be here. Thanks for asking me. And I think you boys will create some brilliant, some magic, as I said. Uh, but yeah, just, just quickly touching on it, how, you know, the history of your relationship has as friends and football fans as well. So, so me and Ollie basically went to school together some years ago, um, and we went to the same school in North Manchester. And uh, Ollie was always a, a very bitter blue, and I was always a very bitter red. Um, <laughs> and uh, kind of as as we grew older, we we, we became uh, close friends, and we kind of took a pact that we'd never discuss football or footballing matters. Uh, it went horribly. It went horribly. <laughs> But, but you know, as, as we kind of got older, we you know we we kind of well, I'd like to think I mellowed. He kind of got more bitter, and I, I definitely mellowed over the years. Um, but you know, I definitely had a better childhood than he did. So um, <laughs> you know, I'll, I'll take that. But you know, my my adult, my, ad, my adult life is uh, yeah, is, is, is to be seen. <laughs> I have definitely got more bitter as time has gone on. Weirdly, um, I think City fans 
at the point of you know once we've got to around that 30 to 35 year mark of not winning anything especially in the late 90s and early 2000s it was a case of uh, gallows humor and just kind of accepting where we were and who we were um but now for me as as we've really been on the rise and started to show ourselves as a dominant force in football i think i've just got worse because i'm kind of repaying the pain of the childhood and supporting city in a school full of united fans that uh for me i just want to make sure that every one of their noses is rubbed in it and rubbed in it again to be honest boys <laughs> that said you know our results against you in previous times before our uh before ragnit were pretty good with under ollie yeah know, yeah so so, uh, Ollie, Ollie did have a, a bit of a magic touch against us, but again, bigger picture. Bogey team, bogey team. Yeah, was it relevant for us in the bigger picture? Not, not really. Um, yeah, that's that's really the story of me and Serge. It's a story of friendship and a story of rivalry. Beautiful I'm, beginnings. I'm, yeah, no, that's brilliant. I'm surprised you've not reenacted that pact of not discussing football, Serge. You probably, <laughs> probably should have revisited that in the last few years at some point, but... No, it's interesting. I find it interesting that you say you've become more bitter as you've had more success because that, that's counterintuitive. Like, I'd have presumed you'd just be, you know, all that, you know, levity now, all that sort of pain of the, of your childhood might have just left your shoulders now. But it's interesting because I do find city fans really give it me when it comes to, you know, our demise. Um, whereas I, I'm sure you're probably the same now, Serge. For so long, City were that sort of below us in the league that I suppose as City have viewed us, they've just not been a we've not been a threat to them in the recent five years, ten years. Yeah, they were an irrelevance in many ways. Yeah, and 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 therefore you probably like we get it. We get a lot of stick from City fans now, but I can't remember really rubbing it in that heavily when City were at their lowest ebb. And I'm obviously now, in retrospect, massively regretting that. Yeah, this is actually something that Gary Neville touched upon in a, in a Drink It In documentary on Sky. And Gary was saying that the that City were always the rivals that were just kind of... They were local rivals and you know we, we were relevant, despite United fans consistently telling us that we were irrelevant. We were relevant, but... Gary just sort of saw us as a fly that they just kept swatting away. You know, every now and then we'd come and sting them um, in certain derbies. You know, I think about the 3-1 at Main Road, the last derby at Main Road, or the 4-1 at the first league derby at the what is now the Etihad, then the City of Manchester Stadium uh, in 2004. We did beat you a couple of times, but as Gary said, we were just kind of swatted away. Um, and I think that is really in keeping with how United fans saw us generally. Uh, there, there was ribbing in schools, there was ribbing in the workplaces, but for you guys, it was Leeds, it was Arsenal, it was Liverpool, and you had those competitive rivalries. In a similar way to we do now with Liverpool, you know, Liverpool are, whether you like it or not, one of our biggest competitive rivals at the moment. But does that mean that I'm no longer bitter? No, absolutely not, because I have lived through that time of when we were just that little fly being swatted away. Um, and I actually do suspect that if United do come back towards the top, your fan base will see us in a very different manner to which you did previously. And I think that local rivalry will mean more to you because it will be melded in with that competitive rivalry as well. Uh, I think it, it, it will go up to levels that perhaps we've not seen since the late 60s, I guess, when it was uh, Belly and Summerby and obviously George Best, Bobby Charlton, etc. Uh, I think I think that is really the period that we only have 
the, the only period that we really have to compare as to what would happen if you guys were to come back up towards the top and we're still there. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, I echo exactly what you're saying. Um, should we should we crack on with uh, some of the topics that we want to discuss? Yeah, today? absolutely. We've got we've got loads to talk about today, so we are going to keep it fairly concise. But it is the first episode, so we're going to take some liberties and and have it go on a little longer than we usually would. Um, but the first thing, really, you know, we've got to got to come back to current uh, and talk about pre-season. So. My first question is going to be to our revered guest, Johnny. And I want to ask you, with the new management in place, um, we've got one bold manager on one side of Manchester, another bold manager on the other side of Manchester. I want to ask you, Johnny, how the mood in the squad has been over pre-season that you know of, uh, and how the players are embracing the new management. Are all of them embracing the new management? Are there some that might be uh, a little bit upset about how hard they're being asked to work or is pretty much everyone on board you know look at players like Rashford he's coming in come back in really good shape physically he looks like his head's back in the game and he's scoring goals so how's the mood in the squad Johnny? Yeah pre-season I mean pre-season and the incipient stages of Ten Hag's tenure uh, seem pretty promising really I mean ultimately you know as you know that as United fans, we've, the, the last few years have been really treacherous, really, and quite depressing, toxic. You know, there's a, there's a there's a litany of pejorative words that you could use to describe United's recent seasons. Um, so we start at a pretty low ebb, and in in some ways, you might argue that that's advantageous to Ten Hag because he can really remould things in in the the sort of the vision that he has. And I do think that you can, there are, there are some real clear parallels between the two clubs of Ajax and United, especially when it comes to the youth. And, and I think you're seeing that instantly with Ten Hag because clearly a lot of our first team squad are probably not up to the level where we need to be challenging for major honours. So he's already delving into the, the younger sides and, and picking out the outstanding players and giving them chances. And I think, that's very much in keeping with the Ajax way. And therefore, I think his philosophy at Ajax meshes very well with United. Um, so I'm very encouraged by what I'm seeing. But I'm also under no illusion. Uh, you know, but ultimately, I'd say the last 10 years have made me a very realistic United fan. Uh, I don't let myself get carried away. I think Serge alluded to it before about sitting on the fence. But also what I do is I temper expectation. So for me... You know, United fans or any football fan really will get carried away to see a few positive results. But even if we win the first five games, you know, I'd be delighted if we finish fourth next year. I would view that as a, an achievement given the last few seasons and especially last season. So, you know, like I say, my expectations are modest. It'd be nice if we challenge for a, a trophy. It'd be nice if he plays a lot of the younger lads and we see some sort of style of football being implemented. But Again, finish fourth, maybe win a smaller trophy, uh, and I'd be chuffed. But the early signs are promising. I think this guy's the real deal, and I believe that if he's supported properly, and I don't just mean financially, uh, because our Serge and I both know all too well, it's not just about throwing money at these things. And it's, as we discussed off air, uh, Ollie, you know, City very quickly realised that Money isn't a quick fix in football. It's about spending money in the right way. And unfortunately, with United in the last decade, 
as I say, Serge and I know too well, it's been misspent tragically, really. Um, so as long as he's supported with his infrastructure, the people he wants at the club, any players that he perceives to be disruptive or problematic aren't retained purely for their commercial value. We've seen that a few times over the years. Um, he needs to be back like Fergie was. You know, like Pep is at City. Pep is all-powerful in, in many ways. If Pep doesn't want someone at the club or he wants someone, that is honoured. Uh, and unfortunately, all too many times over the past decade, we've had managers that have been undermined, personnel that have been kept on for commercial value. And these are the things that Ten Hag needs to be supported on. And again, it looks like he's making big decisions and big calls already. He speaks a good game, but, you know, we're sort of fed up of press conference rhetoric. We just want to see, you know, we want to see some evidence on the pitch now that things will be going in the right way and it's going to take time. There's a couple of interesting points actually that that you've made. One of them is a is a, a nickname a few City fans are already throwing about about Eric Ten Hag, uh, and that is calling him Eric Ten Months, which is in line with you know, some of the way that your previous managers have gone. So, um, Johnny, I'm going to come back to you in a minute. I want to ask Serge on that point. What is the lower boundary of what's acceptable here? What you're in a transition season, we get that. United need a little bit of time again. You know, I, I know we've kind of a broken record because it seems like you're in this position every other year. But Ten Hag has come in, as Johnny said, with with a very different philosophy than what you used to, and he has got a clear vision. So Johnny's talking about top four, maybe compete for a domestic cup. But on the other end of the spectrum, what is the lower boundary of what's acceptable? What can you achieve without saying this guy has got to go? I think for me, it's a clear pattern and a clear style of play. I know that doesn't necessarily um, relate to a position in the league. Um, however, I think we've all too, <laughs> all, all too used to kind of seeing... Um, was not really having any kind of style of play or pattern of play and then somehow kind of jammy ourselves to fourth or, or, or whatever. We've never, we, and even when we've got to fourth or second, the football was never what you would call the United way or, or, or whatever. And I hate that phrase, the the United way, but United have always traditionally been a possession, possession-based club. We've, we were always on the front foot um, you know, against teams in the Premier League. We never played really on the counter unless we're in Europe playing, uh, you know, in, in the Champions League. Uh, and Fergie did that many times where we did play, uh, you know, on the counter in the Champions League, you know, often against that. Even teams like Benfica or whatever, wherever we went, where it's challenging in the, in, the ch- in the Champions League. But with Oli, it was always, every game was counter. We never had a possession-based um, possession-based style of play. Uh, and that's something that we've got to, um, instill back into the club is this um, is this philosophy of you know we dominate the game um, and the goals will come off the back of that. Um, I think once we kind of get that, um, I think um, things will follow from that. Um, and obviously, just going back to your question with regards to uh, you know what is the lowest the lowest uh, kind of success um, if if not for fourth and 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 the small domestic trophy or, or whatever. Yeah, for me, it's just, as I said, it'd just be seeing a very clear pattern and style of play that you would think, you know, a bit like, a bit like Arteta at Arsenal. Um, I, I, I think he has really, uh, this year, you know, this past season, um, 
really instilled that pattern of play. Uh, he's got a real clear way of playing, and 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 the players seem to be buying into that. And and you know, p- p- people might not agree with me on that, but he really he really hasn't. This year for Arteta is going to be a a penultimate you know sink or swim year. You know, they, they've been back to the market. They've got all you know. They look really strong preseason. They've got all you know all, all the areas uh, covered. Uh, I could see them doing very well, or it might backfire, and I might. Uh, be left with egg on my face, but um, I think we, need, you know, we, we need to follow the same route that they've gone down. Uh, if I'm honest with you. So okay, so your first and foremost priority is a good philosophy and style of play. Um, I am outnumbered here by two United fans, so I'm going to press a little bit harder on that one and, and push Johnny. Clear philosophy and style of play is evident. Some nice patterns of play, some great games where you crack teams four or five nil, but you finish tenth. How's that for you? I mean that's the that's the golden question, isn't it? I, let's be honest. Playing well, playing exciting football, it's kind of inextricably linked, isn't it? In a way, to your league position, because the likelihood is if you're seeing positive moments in games, I'm not just talking about little flashes. I'm talking about periods of domination or whole games where you dominate the lower teams, for example you're more than likely going to be finishing in those top sort of seven places, aren't you? Because the results generally will follow. Um, if we finish 10th, we win a cup. And I know you're kind of playing devil's advocate here, but I get the question. If we finish 10th, but, you know, he's quickly established that a lot of the first team squad aren't up to the challenge and therefore he's playing a lot of the younger players, which is possible. Uh, I think United fans would accept it, and they'd probably accept the fact. I mean, ultimately, we've not won a we've not won even a, a minor trophy since was it 2017 with with Jose. So we're talking. We just won. We we just won the Bangkok trophy. What are you talking about? I also I also protest the Carabao Cup being called a minor trophy because that is now the Manchester City Challenge Cup, and we love it. You're quite right. Yeah, it's becoming predictable. But no, in all seriousness, it's. If we finish 10th, win a trophy, but, he's, but, but fans can see that there's something potentially brewing. You know, just playing some of the kids. Um, I think there's a, there's a level of patience. You know, you kind of joked before about Eric 10 months, but generally speaking, United fans are quite patient given the amount of money that's spent and the expectation generally that's around a club of our magnitude. United fans are patient. I mean, look at how they've treated Ollie. Uh, Jose got a fair bit of slack, although, you know, in retrospect, he's quite successful. Um, you know, the fans generally do get behind the managers and will give him time. So I think even if we finish 10th, you know, like you mentioned, uh, I think he'll be given another year at the very least to prove that something is cooking in the right direction. Um, yeah. And then going back to what you said before about players buying into his ideas, you know, Serge and I have become all too accustomed in recent years to seeing half-arsed performances where, you know, you can accept bad performances as fans. But what you struggle to accept is where you feel that players aren't giving 110% because that shouldn't be acceptable at the elite level of any sport. Um, under Fergie, it wouldn't have been acceptable. Under the current team with Pep or Klopp, it wouldn't be acceptable, which is kind of what made me chuckle a little bit when you were linked with Pogba and, you know, I'd have been delighted if you'd have got Pogba because the potential for him to disrupt things would have been, you know, th- there would have been a chance. But 
Pep's not going to stand for any nonsense. And that's what, that's what has to be reinstilled into United because far too many times player power has uh, dominated at United in recent years and that can't be allowed to happen. Yeah, no, you make a really good point, and Pogba's a really interesting case study, and I don't want to dwell on it too much, because as we know, it, it, it seemed that the story pretty much concluded itself quite quickly, you know, City had an offer on the table for Pogba, he had provisionally accepted it, and ultimately, uh, due to personal reasons and, and emotional reasons, really, he, he got cold feet over the move, Um but from a City perspective, for us, by and large, even though, you know, standard Twitter stuff, you'll have people crying out for player A, player B. But the general consensus among City fans is we trust Pep and we trust Chiki Bagiristan and we trust Ferran Soriano. We trust the club. And personally, I had reservations about Pogba. I had certain reservations about Ronaldo last summer. But my answer is, or at least my conclusion, is always the same. If Pep wants them, I want them. And that's kind of the be-all and end-all of it for me. Um, so, yeah, it, it, it is really always linked back to the management. Do you trust the manager to get the very best out of the squad? Are they then in turn going to respond and put 110% in? And that's the most important thing to managers. I mean, Pep's uh, contract question, obviously his, his, his contract at the moment is up at the end of this coming season. Uh, when he was asked last season about his extension, he says he's got a really interesting answer to it he says as long as the players are responding to me he's happy there's no other thing in pep's mind other than are they still learning from him are they still listening to him if he says do this are they still doing this um the club the fans aren't really that much of a priority to him in terms of how happy he is in post for him it's all about his players and if they're responding to him he's happy and he'll he'll, he'll carry on um so I'm going to move on, actually, but we're going to stick with the pre-season at the moment. Um, had a little bit of chatter about the squad, but I just want to go back to the games themselves. So United, United have had a bit of an extended pre-season. I think it's five games or six games in total. You've got another couple to come. Um, of the ones so far, how do you feel they've gone? Obviously, the results have been good. Uh, have you also been happy with what you've seen on the pitch? Yeah, I think I think with regards to the pre-season, I think... Um, most United fans would would be happy with what they've seen. Um, I think that's probably a fair fair point to make. I think obviously we, we with the, with the opening game against against the Scousers, um, you know, to to, to tonk them four uh, nil was quite lovely. Uh, based on everything that obviously happened last season, not saying that that was obviously any barometer that's gonna that's gonna be held going into the new season, uh, because obviously we know that preseason doesn't really mean very much, and most of the time it's just for fitness. So um, I'm not looking too deep into the fact that we managed to dismantle Liverpool um, very quickly um, and, and and beat them four 0 So um, <laughs> so um, so yeah so yeah, um, but but with actually with regards to uh, the actual preseason, it's been nice actually to see uh, some players that we've that we've not actually seen you know have that many minutes for Manchester United. Players like Zidane Iqbal, players like Charlie Savage. Um, even Tahith Chong and 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 uh, Ahmad, players that we don't really get to see um, traditionally in a season. It's been really good to see um, them, them playing, and, and they've been playing really well. Um, players like Zidane Iqbal. I, I mean, I think uh, Ten Hag was really surprised. Uh, I think I read an interview that the, you know Zidane hadn't had any minutes uh, at first team level. 
and I, I think he's going to be one to watch this year. I think he's going to really break through into the first team. Um, and I think Ten Hag even mentioned that if we didn't manage to get De Jong through, uh, through the door, um, he was going to look internally to uh, players that he believes he can mould into uh, a, a player that you know th- that would sit in front of the defence. And I think he might see Zidanek Bell as that player. Um, really comfortable on the ball, really comfortable, you know, under under pressure. Um, is 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 press resistant in many ways. You know, really kind of uh, is wiry. Um, gets himself in all the right places. Uh, he, he, he he looks really good. Um, so yeah, no, re- re- really pleased with, with with how it's gone preseason. Obviously, preseason is preseason. As I said, most of it is for fitness, but it's been great to see a real kind of pattern of play and a real kind of style that Ten Hag has. Um, and and a lot of the videos I know that come out on Twitter um, showing live uh, training sessions, and obviously you can hear him effing and blinding and, uh, at the players, uh, which is quite amusing. But um, you can really see that there is something starting to build under him. And it is interesting that we've actually managed to get a manager in who's, uh, you know, again, a lot's been said over, over the fact we had Jose and Louis van Gaal and Moyes and whatever. But a lot of these, um, especially like Jose, he was, I suppose, on his way down in his career. Uh, and, and van Gaal as well was on his way down, if you want. Uh, but, you know, with um, Ten Hag, it looks like obviously he's, you know, won the um, Dutch league last year. Um, and he's rebuilt an Ajax squad twice over, uh, playing fantastic football, uh, getting them, you know, substantially far into the Champions League. Granted, obviously not won the Champions League or, 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 or as such, but obviously doesn't have the players or, or or funds to be able to compete with with, with the big ones. But um, I don't think any European club would turn their nose up at Ten Hag, and he, he really is a, a manager that's on the rise. And I think United have done really well to bring him in. Uh, and I do think he's making a big difference. Now, um, there, there, there is obviously still a lot of frailties. I mean, you saw against Villa, um, we conceded two very stupid goals uh, in that game. Um, again, defensive errors. Um, so there is still a lot of work to do. And it is still, you know, the start, as you mentioned earlier, of a tr- transition season. So th- there will be games that we will lose and there will be games that we will win. Um Obviously, but you know, I just don't expect us to to tonk every team. You know, we're, we're not that naive to think that we're going to go in the title run next season. I think the guy is going to need time to bed in. And uh, but but generally, I think everyone is pretty pleased with how it's gone. There is two games uh, left to play, uh, which I'm hoping obviously to see uh, Christian Eriksen and obviously Lissandro Martinez. Uh, play and I know obviously he's been uh, getting a lot of uh, stick for his height, um, but he does look like a uh, a, a good a, a good uh, incoming from Manchester United. So yeah, they're pretty pleased with how it's gone. And Frankie De Jong, of course. <laughs> Frankie De Jong, if he if he turns up, <laughs> yeah, we'll get to that. It was actually uh, quite nice hearing you talk about Eric Ten Hag having not peaked yet and being a manager on the rise uh, because he is one year older than Pep Guardiola. So we are. By your standards, nowhere near peak Pep. Bring it on. Fine. No, I was going to say, no, because it's interesting what you were saying before about Pep and, and the situation at City, because I kind of just presume it's a little bit of a catch-22 maybe for City fans, because there's the perception that once he wins the Champions League, maybe it's sort of job done at City, isn't it? And, and I do strongly believe that he will wait around until you win it. I suppose for you guys, you want as much of Pep as you can have. But maybe, would you, okay, here's a, here's playing devil's advocate for you. 
if you win the Champions League this season, well, that means that Pep goes. You, would, would, you, would you rather win three leagues and then win the Champions League to get three more seasons of Pep? Or would you rather win that the one. Champions League and then Tarar Pep? Really? The option last number one. Option, yeah, without a doubt. For me, uh, I don't really want to lie back on this stereotype of City fans don't care about the Champions League, don't want to win it. We do. Of course we do. We want to win the Champions League. But... Uh, Pep brings so much to this club and not only in terms of league dominance and domestic trophies the kind of football we play the kind of players we attract I mean the, the, almost every player that comes into this club they say that one of the biggest determining factors was Pep um, the things he can do with youth as well you look at Phil Foden a wonderful example he's a kid that's on the way to the very top in his first couple of years at City there was a lot of frustration about him not getting enough game time but Pep handled him perfectly we're hopefully now about to see the same thing with Cole Palmer and a couple of the other kids that we've seen on the pre-season tour it will be their time as well I think City fans will largely agree that Pep is priority in terms of just having him here um and personally i can't speak for everyone else i yeah i'd, I'd sacrifice champions league for another couple of seasons two three years to have more pet ball to see you know, to see the things that we see on a weekly basis i don't think we will get near these standards week by week ever again with another manager and Listen, cup competitions do need a slice of luck, and the Champions League's no different. I am actually a very big fan of proposals to have the Champions League or another European competition that is in a league format. Because then, if you're talking about a league format stretching between August and May, I think we'd have walked two or three of them, much like we have done in the Premier League. Pep is a manager that can get the very best out of a squad over the course of a season. But you can't no matter how good a manager is you can't account for small moments like well enormous moments like rodrigo's two goals in the last two minutes of a champions league semi-final second leg um these things happen and it just feels like part of it is perhaps tactical overthinking obviously you know the, the champions league final against chelsea not going with a defensive midfielder um and i think other parts of it is just we're not really getting the rub of the green sometimes, you know, against Real Madrid. Um, these things happen, but would I give up? Would I substitute a Rodrigo moment to have City go through to the final and then win it? And the price we've got to pay is for Pep leaving. No, absolutely not. Absolutely not. Um, I, I would like Pep to stay for as long as possible. Uh, and I would also, in terms of this season, imagine that his future will be resolved long before we actually get to the latter stages of the Champions League, uh, which hopefully will dispel this myth that it is about the Champions League for Pep, because I don't think it is. Uh, I think at the moment Pep's happy, he's invigorated, he's not got the political stresses that he had at Barcelona and Bayern Munich um, that you know clearly rubbed rubbed on him badly uh, because he had to take a sabbatical after Barcelona. Uh, he, he's happy. He's been here for a long time now. I think he, he joined in 2016, so no, eight years almost. Um, I, I think his future will be resolved before we get to the, the, the knockout stages of the Champions League, uh, and I do suspect he'll extend. Obviously, you guys have had a relatively kind of short pre-season uh, in comparison to, I suppose, to, to suppose us. I mean, we, we obviously came back early. Ten Hag wanted all plays back earlier than... than, than than, than, than would be. And I think, obviously, well, it's pretty obvious why, because of the dreadful season we just had. But obviously, you guys have had a very, very short preseason. Is that normal to you guys? I mean, obviously, I don't follow City, but do, do you usually have a very short preseason? And and if so, why? Apart from, 
Spurs starts on our advantage every season being over in February, you know. <laughs> they can all, they can they can they can go come back very early for three seasons. It's also an advantage of having a squad that no international managers want, boys, I'm afraid. Uh, you know, I, I, the, the City boys, well, the vast majority of our team are internationals and the vast majority of them start for the national teams. Unfortunately, that meant that after the season we had in 2020-2021, uh, the players all went off to the Euros. They came back for another very long season. We played 50-plus games, um, obviously going deep in the Premier League and the Champions League, right to the wire in the Premier League, uh, plus the two domestic cups as well and then they had internationals or world cup qualifiers immediately following the end of the season it's not ideal um of course it's not ideal but the players did need an extended rest because they've got another long season this season if we go deep in four competitions again that's going to be closing up on 60 games plus the world cup slap bang in the middle of the season in december in qatar so it isn't ideal, but the, the advantage that we've got is that we do now have a very concrete philosophy and way of playing set within the club. And the players don't need an extended period to readjust to it, other than the new signings. Most of the players should be able to slot back in quite easily. Um, and pre-season, I don't want to say it's a formality. I think Pep has been, <clears throat> has been experimenting with different slightly different tactical setups to uh, get the best out of Grealish get the best out of Erling Haaland but by and large for us it's routine now we don't need pre-season for any specific purpose other than get the players fit again uh, get them back into just the, the the kind of metronome that is the way we play um, but nothing massive is needed no major shifts so um yeah, it's not really a concern for me. I'd just like to watch us play more games because we've been great. No, 100%. And obviously, just touching on the point of uh, new signing slotting in, um, how pleased are you with, obviously, with your business you've made this year? Um, obviously, you brought in uh, Erling Haaland and Julian Alvarez. And um, are, are you... Are you are you pleased with with the business and is, is there any remaining business for City and if so who would you like that to be or who do you think it will be listen if we signed Erling Haaland and nobody else I think I'd have been over the moon um, we've, we've addressed the number one problem that we had and that was to replace Sergio Aguero and you know how the hell do you replace Sergio Aguero but hopefully we have we've got someone that's able to do that um, this myth that Pep doesn't like number nines or big number nines or that Pep enjoys more playing with a false nine it isn't true um, we did go for Lionel Messi we went for Harry Kane we had a contract on the table for Cristiano Ronaldo and Pep has said in multiple press conferences you know despite what you'll what you'll hear on Twitter that Yes, we need a number nine. But the difference with Pep is that if we don't sign somebody, he says, we'll make do. And of course, you know, he made do. We went and won the Premier League against the best Liverpool team of all time and the best strikers of all time. You know, Pep, Pep will make do, but he has always wanted a number nine. So Erling Haaland for me was, was, was really the absolute priority. And it was great to see that we got that done so early uh, instead of the, the faffing right up to deadline day that we had previously with, with other number nines. Julian Alvarez, I think he's a dark horse to be a superstar. Um, he's not under that much pressure because he has come in in the same window as Erling Haaland, but he was South American player of the year last season. He is uh, versatile. He can play across all three positions at the front. And he might end up Sergio Aguero reincarnate. And I think he's an outside bet to actually be a more important part of the City team than Erling Haaland. Uh, I'm not saying he will, but 
he's, uh, he's he's certainly being backed by the Argentines. Pablo Zabaleta has been singing his praises. Sergio Aguero has been singing his praises. And I think he's going to slot in and I think he's going to do some wonderful things. Elsewhere, we've signed Calvin Phillips. Perfect. I've spoken about this on uh, on City Report podcast. He was just what we needed. We've lost Fernandinho, who was our enforcer at defensive midfield. You know, if if Rodri is the brains, then Fernandinho is the legs, and we needed legs. We've we've got that. We've got Calvin Phillips in. Um, again, going back to that Real Madrid game. If if we're late on in that game and we substitute Calvin Phillips on. Can we hold on? Yeah, probably. Um, Fernandinho, unfortunately, you know, his, his legs have just gone in his in his last year, and uh, Calvin's the perfect young replacement. Let's hope he can stay fit. There are a lot of similarities with where Calvin Phillips and Erling Haaland have just come from. Borussia Dortmund had horrendous injury problems last season across the squad. It was one of the reasons that the manager Marco Rose lost his job, allegedly. Uh, he just wasn't taking good care of the players. The, the physios were saying, hey, you know, they need to be bedded back in slowly. Right, you're in the team sheet, 90 minutes you're playing. Um, and there were a lot of small niggling injuries across the Dortmund squad all season. Um, and obviously Leeds under Bielsa, murder ball, Bielsa ball. They, it, it's very, very hard on the legs. But what these players have got coming to City, other than the obvious, which is the infrastructure and the, the, the kind of facilities and medical facilities that they've got, is a big squad. Well, I, I say a big squad. We actually had a smaller squad than, than the rest of the top six last season, but a versatile squad where we have the capability to rotate players into positions to give others a rest. Obviously, Fernandinho going back into centre-half. Calvin went into centre-half in our first pre-season game. Um, players like Foden that can play left-wing, right-wing, false nine, centre-mid, that kind of thing. So I'm very, very confident that Haaland and Phillips will be able to stay fit um, in terms of those kind of smaller niggling injuries. Obviously, we don't want to talk about anything catastrophic, uh, which hopefully won't befall anyone in our squad or yours. But um, I'm, I'm quite happy with, with, with fitness. And in terms of our remaining business, um, a lot has been said about Cucurella, but it looks like City and Brighton might struggle to find an agreeable price as things stand today. Do you not find it interesting now that a lot of the smaller clubs can now dictate, um, you know, the, the fees that they want to be paid? You know, previously when the likes of United, uh, Liverpool, Arsenal, obviously this was before you guys were successful, but when we used to come knocking, um, we, we used to just you know, pinch these players off these teams. Uh, but now, obviously, with the amount of money that's in the Premier League, uh, th- these teams no longer need to roll over. I find that really interesting. It, it, I think it's still a mix. and it, it all depends on the players themselves and their contract situations. You know, Daniel Levy wouldn't budge on Harry Kane. We didn't get him. Many would say that Villa had our pants down where we talk about Jack Grealish, £100 million, his release clause. Uh, some are saying that we've had Leeds' pants down for Calvin Phillips at, I think it was £42 million, uh, which... Yeah, I, I would agree with you know an English player coming into his peak years. Um, yeah, it's got it's got to be fifty million minimum. Yeah, it, it's it's a big mix. It is a mix. I think it just depends on the players. And Cucurella has been at Brighton for one year. He's got four years remaining on his contract. He was a great player for them last season. There, there there's no reason for them to shift. But also, I think City are being a little bit uh, tight pocketed here. To be honest. Uh, we signed Benjamin Mendy for 50 million in 2016. We signed Kyle Walker around that time, 50 million. 50 million pound fullbacks have been around for a while. Now, if you look at how the market has inflated in the last six years, 50 million for Cucurella is actually probably about right. Um, I think a deal might get done. Do we need a left back? 
we we need left-footed left backs. I think we've already seen we we had uh, two systems at play in our first two preseason games. I don't want to go too deep into them. Um, I've I've written a short mini thread about this on uh, on my Twitter feed. You can go and have a look. I'll put my link in the description. Um, in our first game, we had uh, Chancelo, an inverted left back with his right foot, moving into central midfield, and it was Bernardo that moved out onto the left wing to provide that width with his left foot. Jack Grealish then had the space to be inverted because him and Chancelo were clashing a lot in that half space last season where Grealish likes to cut into and he gave Grealish a lot more freedom and he was superb. The game last night against Bayern Munich we had Josh Wilson-Esbrand, a young left back, left footed, providing that width down the left side, giving Grealish that space to be inverted had a great game, provided the assist for Haaland and created a couple more big chances on top of that. So we we don't necessarily need a left back, but we need to be in a position where Pep has got somebody that is able to spread the pitch on the left side to give Grealish that space to move into that half space pocket when we're going forward. I won't be devastated if we don't get a left back. I think the striker situation was the priority. Um I think City fans are also pretty numb now with that left back position. We've we've had issues there for years. It's just our Achilles heel. Uh, it is what it is. So yeah, I'm pretty happy with the business we've done so far. A bit gutted about a couple of the outgoings. Jesus in particular, obviously, he's already been showing in pre-season what he can do for Arsenal. Um, but on the whole, at the moment, he's Spanish, isn't he, Cucurella? He is. He's a product of La Masia. And this is why I do think quite strongly that you'll sell him and it kind of alludes to the point you made before about the appeal of Peck because you know like we experienced it for two decades with with Fergie Sir Alex because you know when certain managers come calling uh the the pressure that I know that it's come out recently or this week that the player himself isn't like pushing to leave Brighton but you know who knows how much he actually wants to leave and I think the temptation when when you know the greatest Spanish manager of all time comes calling, and you're a product of the Messiah, and you're Spanish, and you can go to the league champions, um, he's going to have to be putting pressure on the club, his agent, and everyone. And I'm almost certain that he'll, you'll sign him before the end of this window. It's just it's too obvious a signing, and unless Brighton asks for something absolutely ridiculous, they're obviously going to hold out and haggle a little bit. And but I reckon you'll get him probably for the. 35, 40, which is probably what City want to pay. They want 50. You're probably getting for 40, I reckon. Yeah, somewhere in the middle. And I do think £40 million for a top left-back that's been brought up with Pep Ball uh, would be would be a good deal. And I actually believe it would still leave us in a great position to win the net spend trophy. I'm, I'm, yeah, and very quickly as well on Pep. And I do understand that sort of your answer before, tying in with your answer about how you'd rather keep him and win a few leagues than a Champions League. You know, ultimately, you mentioned it as well, he doesn't have the political issues that he had at Barca and Bayern. He's got the... Per- I mean, if you created a setup for yourself, you couldn't create a, probably a better one than Pep has at City. So as long as he's happy and he's passionate about football and he still wants to be involved in the game and doesn't have... Basically doesn't feel satiated by what he's won, why would he ever leave City? Like... You ask yourself that, I mean, he's got everything literally on a plate. They, they pretty much, I don't say they pander to him, but they respect him to the level that they do everything he asks for. He's got money to spend when he needs it. I mean, you know, he'll leave when football is no longer for him, I think, or another project comes that he's passionate about, you know, 
maybe he wants to maybe he wants to improve the profile of football on a different continent, you know, in space or something. Maybe he wants to introduce the aliens to football. So Just like, buy them and bring them under the CFG umbrella of clubs. You are, you are right. You are right. And there are, if you if you speak to people that were involved in the building of the CFA at the City Football Academy, which is the, 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 the enormous campus on which the Etihad stands with, you know, nine pitches and this, that and the other, there was a lot of referring. And this was built a couple of years before Pep came. But there was at the time a lot of referring around to this is what Pep would want. This is something that was openly discussed at the time during Pellegrini's reign. So we, we already had Chiqui Bagiristan and, and Pep's former colleagues from Barcelona in place. And it was quite literally, not only at squad level, but infrastructure level, designed for Pep. And the second point you made as well, where would he go? Other than perhaps just needing that break, uh, or maybe if eventually international football appeals to him, which I don't think at the moment it would, you know, I think Pep likes to work every day with his players. Where where can he go from here in club football? Uh, unless you just get sick of the weather, in which case I wouldn't blame him. And it's why I've always, as a United fan as well, it's why I've always said with, with Pep, for me, it's always been a matter of that. Not just for what Pep does for City in the here and now, but the roots the roots that he actually lays for the future for the future of the club is why it's always concerned me the longer he stays because you know obviously you have your short term concerns when he does leave who's going to come in but if city build themselves to such a level they're going to appeal to all the best managers in the world anyway the ones that are coming up so i don't think you've got that many concerns really the longer that he stays the more roots that he implants you know you should be be sorted won't you really as and it pains me to say it but city have done things very effectively and efficiently uh, and that shows how well a football club can be run and you know serge and i'll conversely go into that but yeah i'm just hoping that more people on bikes chase him out of manchester to be honest that that's my that's my hope for pep leaving you saw that clip online didn't you some fella chasing him around yeah so i'm, I'm just hoping that more fans chase him around on bikes that's our only chance of him leaving. Well, I'm going to pick up more about life after Pep because it was one of the questions that we got on Twitter. Um, so I'm going to hold my thoughts on that one and I'm going to flip back to you guys, actually. Um, and I've got a double question here. One, Johnny. Uh, I'm going to ask them both at the same time and let you guys just kind of work out between you on these. But number one is for Johnny, which is... You know, play, you've, you, you've got your ITK Twitter status as much as you may disdain the handle, but uh, you know people people will be dying to ask you this kind of question, and I am as well. And uh, I want to know what further activity might we expect from United and from Surge, following on from that, uh, if this kind of business was to go through, or just pulling back to where you actually are right now, which is post Lissandro Martinez, post Christian Eriksen, and pre Frankie De Jong. What do you still need? So, uh, Johnny, you first. What what might what might we expect going from here? Yeah, it's funny because we were talking a little about it, a little bit about it off air. Um, I've been away for a week, uh, centre parts, and um, a lot can change. As Serge joked, in, in a day, uh, but actually, even in an hour, things change with with transfer stuff. And um, I'm sure Serge will mention it in a bit. But yeah, I do. I do get a little bit of stick on Twitter, as most people who tend to post stuff on transfers do, because it's such a, a world that's in flux, constantly changing. I've got some very good sources, uh, most of whom, ninety-five percent of whom, aren't even associated 
directly with United. Um, but I speak to loads of people in the game and it's, it's a very hard and thankless task reporting on transfers um, because it's a very, you know, it's a very, a lot of people are guarded about them because naturally there's a lot of money involved in the deals, a lot hinges on them. And so why would they freely give out information if it's going to jeopardise a potential multi-million pound deal? You're why do agent. they, Johnny? I just, I just want to put, put yeah. in there. Why do they? What, what do you offer to them? Mm. What, what's their incentive to give you information? That's a good question. I suppose it's just relationships you build over time. They see that you're an authentic person who, who tries to report things online in, a, in an authentic way with integrity. I always, you know, I get a lot of people reaching out to me on social media saying, you know, how have you built contacts? And just say, like, as with Surge, um, we sort of started talking about United Online uh, quite probably in quite the early stages. So, you know, you build your little bit of a profile online and, and I've done some media work in other areas, you know, uh, mixed martial arts and boxing most prominently. And I've done a few bits of work inside football media as well. But you build contacts over time and you build trust. They see that you report things with integrity. Um, well, yeah, generally... You know, you only get snippets. It's like, there's a lot of things I found out in the past, whether through not wanting to jeopardise things at the club or relationships. I've never touched, I've never even reported, probably more juicy stuff than I've ever reported. But I've maintained those relationships so that when occasionally they will give me a little nugget of info. Um, and I always stress that to people when, when they contact me. It's not just about getting attention and a few retweets. If you want to genuinely build a profile in, in the media world, you've got to do it over time. You can't just immediately be, for, be Fabrizio Romano, who's, you know, he's kind of the, the flag bearer, isn't he, for this space? And, you know, he, he's phenomenal at geezer. I'd love to chat to him about how he's built his contact database over the years. I've had a chat with Serge about this in the past, and I've got a few theories of myself, you know, of my own about how he's managed to do it, but he's brilliant. Um, but yes, as I say, it's a thankless task. People online generally don't, um, not even that they don't understand, maybe they willfully ignore the, the nuances of football transfers. And as you know yourself, it's a complex world. Uh, there's a lot that goes into it. Things can change within five minutes. Uh, bids can come in. and So you're never going to get things 100% right. But yeah, it's, it's an interesting world. And I speak to a lot of interesting people in football. and. Um, yeah, it's, it, it, it's good fun to get a little peek behind the, the curtain occasionally, but you only get fed what, what generally what people want you to, and everyone has their own agendas when it comes to these big multi-million pound deals. And invariably, why why are they going to jeopardise them to give you a little, to get you some retweets on Twitter? It doesn't work like that. It's a, a complex game. And from that complex game, then, have you learned anything over the next few weeks as to what we might expect from United? What, what are the moves that they need to make, obviously, outside of the obvious Frankie de Jong saga, which uh, I'm not going to press you guys too much about because the whole thing's just been a bit of a circus, really. Uh, and personally, yeah. I'm amazed, you know, from our perspective, looking at how we deal with things, I'm amazed that United haven't moved on yet from him. Um so outside of the, the, the endless Frankie Dion chase, what else could we expect from United? Well, that, that's the thing, you know, again, it, like anything in life, I suppose, and in football, it's a vicious circle, isn't it? When a club's well run, deals tend to get done smoothly. There, there's not many road bumps. Um, you hear about them, and then the next thing you know, you've bought Erling Haaland. You know, they're very smooth 
uh, United, typically in the last decade, um, have, have got sort of embroiled in these drawn out affairs. And, and Frankie de Jong is another example of that. And unfortunately for Ten Hag, I mean, for me, the only promising aspect of it, of this saga, is that it, it really highlights how important he must be to Ten Hag's system. He must be so integral that he's insistent that this is the player he needs. Otherwise, like you say, I think we would have moved on weeks ago. Um, I think under Ten Hag, progressively, will become smoother in these areas, uh, and we won't we won't get drawn into these things. And it's just a power thing, isn't it? The, our city have found out when dealing in the market in recent years. If you're winning things, uh, and players are desperate to come to you, you, you don't invariably get overpriced um, and rinsed in the market. But you know, when when you're desperate and you're throwing money at things. You know, invariably you do, unfortunately, and that's the position United have found themselves in for a few years. But hopefully we can reverse that process. All I can say about transfers is, like I said, I've not been speaking. I'm going to speak to a few people this week, see what I can find out. But as Sergio will attest to, we get linked in every, with every player and his dog during pretty much any transfer window. Um, and I reach out to so many people in the game, predominantly whether it be family members, associates, agents, you know, can be can be the personal trainers, whoever. You go knocking on the doors, don't you, Johnny? <laughs> the house number's ringing on. <laughs> Absolutely, bloody hell. That'd be, that would be a full-time job, doing that with every play United link with. But no, it, no in, in all seriousness, you, you do... Um, we do... When, nowadays, with most elite football clubs, they, they scout dozens, hundreds of players around the world. So when you see reports, United are linked with player X or they have an interest, you know, there's all these buzzwords, aren't we, see nowadays? Monitoring, interest, all these sort of things. You know, often there has been, maybe the player has been monitored at the club, but, you know, that can mean a million different things. That could be, that could be someone just saying, oh, he's come upon our radar as an effective player in Europe. It doesn't mean you've, reached out to an agent. It doesn't mean you've reached out to a club. You know, there's, there's a million layers and levels of interest. And with United, what I've learned in the wild goose chase of trying to follow up on a lot of these reports in recent years is, yeah, we, we do monitor a lot of players and we do, you know, we stay in contact with agents, etc. But the actual percentage of players we're genuinely interested in, or should I say, seriously interested in is such a minor percentage of what's reported so you know it's 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 you're going to get linked with 100 players every window but realistically you're probably only going to try and sign five of them so you know you can just get carried away in this world it's endless i think that is partly a product or a byproduct of united's scattergun approach of late because when you have uh, almost uh, uh, when you have a transfer policy that almost doesn't make sense in terms of the players you actually buy it becomes a whole lot more believable when you're linked with players a through z whereas with city you can generally gauge pretty easily what's real and what's not these days um because our transfers almost always just really make sense to be honest so you know you see these reports and you can quite easily separate the rubbish from the realistic um and it's is it also comes with a lot less of these reports. We don't see half of the rubbish posted online that you guys do. We still see it occasionally, um, but it's nowhere near as bad as it used to be, and it's certainly nowhere near as bad as you guys get. 
No, absolutely. And also the obvious factor of, like I said, with the genders before, you know, it's easy, isn't it? Agents can throw around Manchester United for pretty much any player. If they're trying to renegotiate a contract, if they're trying to force the way out of a club, if they're trying to just attract the interest of United itself. And, you know, I'm not, I'm not drawing on the, I'm not sort of, this isn't a dig at City, but United, as many journalists over the years have kind of reinforced, it's about clicks because it's such a big club. Um, we do generate clicks and, and just the pure facts of websites wanting to basically sell advertising and generate clicks. Essentially, it's just a big game and it, and it creates business for online websites. So perfect. You know, right. So if, if I, if I put in the description in the tweet for this podcast, that uh, Johnny Schrager says that Man United are in for Mbappe, then we're going to get 100,000 viewers, right? That, that's how it works. I mean, literally, if you did, I mean, no joke, you probably would get quite a lot of the <laughs> There we go. I'm not, sure, I'm not sure Mbappe <laughs> can leave it. He's on the board at PSG, isn't he? Mind you, he could probably sanction his own sale at this stage. Exactly. Um, there you go. Johnny Schrager says Kylian Mbappe is about to sanction yeah. his own sale to Manchester United. <laughs> Perfect. Got it. No, but, but in all seriousness, <laughs> no, go, going back to, yeah, just to tie this in with actually who we might buy. Um, oh, yeah. And, and yeah, okay, we'll go back to the, the Frankie de Jong. I think Serge will probably say this as well. He's the one that we're obviously pushing for. And I'd be massively surprised, I'm sure Serge would be as well at this stage, if we don't get him. Um, just purely, not even just because we want him or Ten Hag wants him or he wants to come, just because Barcelona needs they need they need money, don't they? So he's obviously going to leave and he'll probably come to United. Do you reckon, Serge? No, I, th- I, th- I think you're right. I think he, I think we would be surprised. Also, you need to remember that you know people do think United are are a circus, as uh, some of my friends would say. Uh, they run they run as a circus, and United are a circus, and, and and all this. But you know, you need to on a serious note, you need to look at a lot of the personnel changes that have happened at the club at the top. You know, obviously we've now got uh, Arnold and and uh, Murto running the show as opposed to Woodward. Uh, solely, and you know, the, the, both of these guys are, are proper football, proper football guys, um, and 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 they seem to know what they're doing. Um, obviously, we'll know by the end of the window if they really truly do know what they're doing in the window. But I suppose um, they've not had um, a real uh, how how can I say it? They've not been given the time um, to. I suppose stake out the players and agree deals with clubs, etc. Like a lot, like, obviously, like City with, did with Haaland, they were able to do that deal on a very, you know, over a year. That that deal would have been in place over a year um, in terms of putting the, or you know, all, all, all the infrastructure in place to make that deal happen. Obviously, Ten Hag came in very last minute, and they had to get together very quickly in London to put together, you know, a short list of players. Uh, that they'd want to go for, and then obviously start putting those foundations in place to you know to make those signings. So th- they've not had uh, the run up to sign the players uh, as much as they would have liked, uh, like City would have done, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And, th- and it all goes goes back to that continuity within football. Uh, if you do have that continuity, continuity within management, continue continuity at the top, everything runs a lot smoother signings come in a lot quicker everything gets done a lot sooner and and the team harmony is a lot happier but yeah i think 
I think in terms of who, who, who we who we should be getting, I think we should be obviously get, getting Frankie De Jong. Obviously, Ten Hag feels he's very he's very uh, instrumental to the way he wants to play. Um, my only concern is if we don't get him, um, who, who do we then go for, and who. Yeah, I mean, from what I saw online, it looked like Ten Hag was saying that we won't go for anyone and he's just going to look internal. So two signings out of five is a bit of a worry. We'll buy Pogba again. We'll buy Pogba back. (laughs) Yeah. It it, it does, to me, from my perspective, feel like you've got all your eggs in one basket with uh, with Frankie De Jong. But we've experienced similar. You know, we had all our eggs in one basket with Harry Kane. And other than a, a late charge for Ronaldo... We just we just went ahead with 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 no striker, and again it didn't work out so badly. But it, it does feel that way that you have got your eggs in one basket. Um, and just before I move on to the next question about strikers, um, I do have a question about uh, and uh, Johnny. I'll come back to you for this because me and Serge have discussed it before. United's or Ten Hag's transfer policy this summer seems to be import the Dutch league, import the Eredivisie, which is markedly a lower standard league than the Premier League. Is this a myopic approach and do you see any danger with it? I mean, yeah, there's a slight inherent danger, I guess. But at the same time, you've got to understand, I mean, what one thing that's really promising for me, I'm sure Serge agrees, it came out in the report last week that essentially that Ten Hag overrode the scouting systems sort of push to get Paul Torres in, in favour of Lissandro Martinez. And that was obviously on the order of Ten Hag. Now, in recent years, the, the manager might not have even had the veto, power veto there. He probably wouldn't have had the authority to do that. And that's sort of touching on what I was saying to you before about how the manager has to be all powerful when it comes to big decisions. And, and there's no bigger decision than player personnel, is there? And... So that kind of thing that probably wouldn't have happened in the past at United immediately, he is enacting that. And that's so important. And I think with the with the Dutch players, ultimately he trusts them. And it's kind of what you said with Pep. If he trusts them, and he'll know, I mean, we're not talking about the whole Ajax squad here. We're talking about he's picked out four or five of the best players who he clearly believes can transition to the English league and handle it. And, you know... The whole kind of drawn out affair of the interview process, which in, in reality was quite encouraging that he was interviewing us, Ten Hag, because he realised he's probably, he's not daft, he knows how United's been run for the last decade, and he wanted all this power. So, and he knows that United's become a club where player power, unfortunately, has predominated. So he's realised he's got to wrestle some of that back. So I think he's doing that with players that he knows that he knows will fit the system he wants to play, that he knows will buy into his system. And as you know yourself, in a disrupted dressing room, you just need a handful of strong players who will buy into it and the rest might follow. So actually, it's quite, it feels to me like a clever policy. Yeah, uh, for me, I, I think, yes, absolutely. It, it works similarly to Pep's philosophy and that he trusts them. For me, it's a question of quality. Um, and, and I don't want to speak too soon because you've got to give these guys a chance. But from the outside looking in, I'm not overly concerned about United signing 
players that have done it in Holland because they've still got a lot to prove uh, in terms of the quality. Even if they do, you know, work their socks off 110%, do they actually have enough magic in their feet to uh, to, to to be able to pull it off at the level that that Ten Hag wants in the Premier League? Well, if you look at the players he's signed, just like I say, touching on that, the handful that he has signed, Lissandro Martinez, I think he's only 19. He's already in the Argentina squad, I believe. Um, you've got the young Tyrell Malassia. I believe he's on the fringes of playing for Holland. These are all players that are playing for the national team as well, or on the precipice of doing so as teenagers. So they're good players, like Frankie Dion, we know, is an established international. Anthony's very highly rated. I think he's probably playing for Brazil. Um, you know, like these are quality players. And like I say, he's not bringing 20 Ajax players, he's just bringing a handful. Yeah. Yeah, and, and talking about then transfer policy and um, going back as well to the striker question, the last thing I want to ask before we go to questions then is around a man unlike Ten Hag that probably didn't know how United was being run uh, and perhaps signifies really, he, he kind of nicely at the back end of it summarised United's transfer policy over the last few years which was the repurchase or bringing him home of Cristiano Ronaldo uh, obviously he came in he, he, he didn't recognise the club from what it once was he's popped up with some big goals big performances of course but on the whole I think a lot of United fans well you know what to be fair I think it's quite split I think many blame the team around him for not serving him and I think others will be blaming him for disrupting the team around him uh, but ultimately Cristiano Ronaldo is now at the position where it looks like he wants to leave the club he hasn't been back to pre-season training for whatever reason that may be um and it looks like United are ready to move on without him. So my final question to you guys before we go on to questions that we've had sent in are, Johnny, what do you think will happen with Ronaldo? And Serge, what do you want to happen with Ronaldo? Um, well, I mean, what I want to happen with Ronaldo, I'll take that one first before Johnny says what... Um... What he, what he thinks. Um, <laughs> uh, I think um, we should move on from Ronaldo. I think it's uh, he came last season, did a job. Um, obviously, he's one of the greatest, if not, you know, as many might say, the one of the best players to ever grace us earth. Um, so we've got to be careful with the words that we use. Uh, but Ten Hag needs a fresh start. Um, obviously, the way he plays and the way he sets up, which is uh, high press and press uh, up the field, uh, and if we have to, you know, press from 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 the back as well uh, against against tougher opponents. But um, I don't think Ronaldo obviously suits that style of play or that philosophy. Uh, obviously, the guy's um, thirty-seven or thirty-eight or whatever he is. Um, we can't start building our team around a thirty-seven, thirty-eight-year-old striker. Uh, it doesn't matter who they are. Uh, we need to start building for the future. And and obviously. Uh, how do you solve a problem like Maria? How do you solve a problem like Ronaldo? Johnny, do you agree? Do you want him gone? And what do you think the eventual outcome actually will be? Uh, uh, to be honest, either way, um, I'd be okay. Uh, yeah, I think ideally, you know, as Serge touched on there, probably, probably in my heart of hearts, and this sounds ridiculous given the fact that he probably produced our only big moments last year, in order to have that clean break and for Ten Hag to really kind of establish himself without any kind of remnants of the past or big remnants, shall we say, 
it probably would be better for him to move on. And clearly, I think the key is he wants to move on. Um, you know, he's, he's made it very public that he, he'll, he'll go and his, his agent is clearly pushing very hard for it. Um, I think he even posted a picture, didn't he, yesterday of himself doing sit-ups during the game. Um, and I think that was actually during our friendly game. So, you know, that feels like a tactical post as well. So he wants to go. And I think ultimately the only reason he will stay is because there'll be a lack of options for him. Uh, and that's not really the best situation to be in um, for any club. So, yeah, but, you know, it wouldn't surprise me either if, if he can't find a club that will pay him and fits his, his status. So, he, you know, there's, all, there's every chance he might end up staying. He'll do an interview saying he always wanted to stay really. He was just trying to force the club's hand to buy more players. You can see it in all scenarios, can't you? So I'm not too stressed either way because I think if he does go, we'll, we'll buy someone or we'll promote a youth player and happy days. No, 100%, Johnny. No, I, I agree with you. I think I think Ronaldo definitely, for me anyway, it, for, for it to be a clean break, I think I think he does need to get moved on, especially for his age and for, uh, I think, in, in many ways, fairity to Ten Hag to give him the real uh, real chance to, 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 to start um, this new era under him, he has to have uh, the full control uh, and have no influence from uh, from you know other players. You look at Mbappe at PSG, who's got all the power. Uh, obviously, at City, Pep has all the power, so that needs to be the same in many ways. The manager has to have all the power. He can't have any kind of external influence. Um, but just moving on to some of the kind of the questions that have been asked, uh, I'm going to ask this one to Oli. Um, this question was from Walker David twenty three. Uh, does City have plans for when Pep rides off into the sunset after failing to ever win the Champions League? Uh, yeah, one for Ollie. He won't be riding off into the sunset because all the sunshine will be gone when Pep goes. There'll be be nothing but darkness. Um, no, I, I listen. The, the City are that well run that yes, I have faith that we do we do have plans. Um, I. Yeah, listen, it depends on the timescale we're talking about here. If you were to say that Pep's leaving next summer, for me, the number one candidate would be Luis Enrique um, or Lucho. He manages the Spain team at the moment. Obviously, the World Cup, he might leave his post after that, so he, he could well become available. He did take over from Pep at Barcelona as well and pretty much move forward with a very similar philosophy, albeit uh, faster in transition going forward over at Barcelona. So he's probably the continuity candidate. Um, are there any others at the moment? It's hard to say. I think Mikel Arteta, if he continues to do well well with Arsenal, uh, but maybe hits his ceiling there, he could be a potential candidate. Obviously, he's pep trained in terms of his coaching and management. Um, there's a couple of others. You know, I, I don't want to go too heavy down the route of X City and X Pep Train because that's what United did with Solskjaer and made that mistake. Um, but there's there is Arteta. There's Vincent Company, obviously just gone over to Burnley. There's Patrick Vieira who came to City in his last year of his career and then worked with the City youth side as well. He was the EDS coach, so he's a potential candidate if he continues to do well. There are a few names out there, but regardless of whoever bring in, the levels will drop. There is nobody out there like Pep. Uh, I think ultimately we have to brace ourselves for that, that no matter how well, how well City is run and whoever we bring in, the levels will drop, at least temporarily. I do think we will be right back up there again within a year or two. Will we ever break the records that Pep has created? 
you know, 100 points, uh, most straight wins. I think it was 17 wins on the bounce or something stupid. Uh, no, we're not going to hit these heights again. Um, but I, I do have faith that we will have a plan in place. There'll be names on a shortlist that is constantly being updated. Um, and I also believe that Pep will ensure that we are not left in the lurch um, and he'll, he'll give us sufficient notice and, and get things ready for his departure to pass on as well and seamlessly as possible. So the new manager. What, 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 about, um, so yeah, what about a young, Mr. Joey, a young Joey Barton? A young Joey Barton. <laughs> Stubbing out cigars in, uh, in youth players' eyes and uh, yeah, keep, keeping well clear of our club. Well clear. Uh, not 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 the kind of personality we mess around with these days. He won your first Premier League, didn't he? Uh, in a roundabout yeah. way, yeah, by uh, by elbowing Carlos Tevez and kneeing Sergio Aguero and getting sent <laughs> off, maybe. Um, but yeah, no, I'm quite quite happy. I think I think City City will will do the right thing. Um, I'm going to take a question back to Johnny that we've had in from at uh, interesting username at shove it hard. Do you think? <laughs> This isn't the one about male pattern baldness, is it? <laughs> yeah. I've actually got myself a gig on a on a on a, a hair transplant podcast on the back of this today. Twitter, <laughs> yeah. as I said, before, Twitter's wild, isn't it? Just wild. Anyway, yeah, yeah, you, you go on to. Oh, no. Well, there you go. Listen, if you come on the Mancunian Way podcast, you might get yourself a gig on a hair loss yeah, podcast exactly, as well. So, exactly. yeah. So at Shove It Hard says, do you think United can, not will, can sign both De Jong and Anthony? Very much. Yeah. And who else can they sign before the window closes? And I would just to preface this, I would read this as a, a more of a budgeting thing. Yeah. Uh, so, how do you think you're doing financially, Johnny? Yeah, no, I believe so. I mean, look at how much we've spent so far in the last year. Uh, not a great deal, uh, quite a modest price for a full-back. And, of course, a free for Ericsson, Martinez a bit pricey. What's the actual price for Martinez, Serge, uh, after we've added on all his, you know, his, I don't know. His takeaways and uh, his uh, taxi fare. And uh, I think altogether, I think it was uh, rising up to, I think, either 55 uh, million euros or 60 million euros, depending on if you speak to the UK media or uh, Dutch media. Right. So if we if we sort of say that the young is going to cost in the region of, what, 65, 60 to 70 mil, that's seemingly what, what Ajax are trying to get out of us for... Anthony as well, but the thing with Anthony is, I think he's very keen to come. Which uh, clearly is a different mindset to Frankie De Jong. I think he's very much coming under duress. Um, but yeah, I think I think when it comes to the the, the budget, I think probably what's worked in Ten Hag's favour is they can see immediately that he has an authority over the squad, that the players are reacting to him. So you know, if it comes to spending an extra ten or twenty million, I think that's probably done a lot of favours. So yeah, I can I can see a world where both players come. Yeah, Johnny, I, I agree with you. I think I think listen, at the end of the day, United's revenues are still high enough that that you, you've got the money to get the business that you want done. And I think the board are going to back Ten Hag to the hill in this window. Uh, but before we wrap up, I want to ask Serge about a little obsession of his. Every single window, twice a year, we hear about this name, Serge Ruben Neves. Do you want him and why? Yeah, absolutely. I want him. The guy's, I think he's 24 or 25, something like that. I've not looked online. Um, so do forgive me if I'm wrong, but 
I think the guy's the full package. We, we've never really replaced Michael Carrick uh, at United. And, and I know traditionally now teams tend to play with a defensive midfielder. But for years before, we never had defensive midfielders. We just had midfielders. And they were they play everywhere. And Ruben Nevers is that player. I think he would slot into United, you know, like a duck to water. It'd be perfect. Uh, playing balls left to right. I think he'd be. I think he'd be the Carrick replacement, uh, literally molded. Um, and I think I think he'd be a perfect, a perfect signing for us. I just hope that we, you know, we, we don't go all in for De Jong, you know, not get it, and and we don't move on to you know some other players as well. There's some other names been touted around like Sangari at Eindhoven, uh, and 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 plenty others as well. So just we just need to bolster that midfield. Um, really, re, you know, we can't rely on Fred. Uh, to to play <laughs> to play all those games. I'll make uh, the point. I'll make the point. I've said it about a few United signings in the last few years. Pep wanted Fred, and that has to speak volumes for Fred's quality because Pep. If there's one thing Pep doesn't get wrong, it's midfielders. So I wouldn't write off Fred just yet. So I'll see how Ten Hag does. Did he win. want him, or was it reported that he wanted him? I mean, I don't know. I don't, I don't know actually either way. I'm just saying. It could have been the old Chicky Bagiristan switcheroo where we declare interest in a player and United snap him right up. Guys, I'm going to wrap up here. It has been the inaugural episode of the Mancunian Way podcast. Hope you enjoyed it. Bit of a new concept, getting City and United fans together and everyone connected with the City and the two clubs. We are aiming to release weekly. Do follow us on social media. And as well, if you've enjoyed it, please do leave us a review. We will link the Twitter profiles for Ollie, myself, Johnny, our guest, and Serge, my co-host, in the description. You'll find us on all of your favourite podcast platforms, Spotify, Apple Music, and others. And, uh, yeah, we'll see you next week. Thank you very much. Oh,